talked about the biggest myth, which is the I only get business from referrals. Uh, I, I here's another big myth that you need to overinvest in your website or in video. I think that if your website's clean and intuitive and you got the right content elements in there and it looks like it was professionally done, okay, not like a cheap template that your kid just did in the filled out the me too version of it but it mm. looks like it's crisp and everything like that you're going to do fine mm. so to go over invest it's sort of like years ago when flash was a big deal and maybe some of your listeners don't even know what flash is but uh, it was the biggest thing but it was a terrible technology because in terms of the efficiency of it because it was not visible to Google. The pages didn't load fast. They were heavy. Everything was wrong about it from an efficiency standpoint, and it disappeared. Hey, everyone. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today, we've got another great guest on the podcast, Jason Simen. And uh, Jason, we're going to be talking about a, a few different things, including the, the myths of only being able to get uh, business uh, via referrals. Also talking a little bit about uh, the best deals that can come or can often come from other source or sources outside of referrals, um, choosing the the right uh, lake or bait uh, when using uh, client generation. Also how to look at things that are not necessarily always mainstream and, uh, and uh, some barriers there. Third party in, endorsement, separating emotion from the situation. Um, along with, I'm sure, some other uh, great points of discussion. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Jason. Thank you. Happy to be here. Hey, excited to have you on. So um, so now before we uh, dive into the a few of the topics at hand, just as a quick reminder of the audience, so Jason was on the Inventive Journey, our sister podcast. So definitely go encourage you to go check out his episode there and uh, hear uh, about his full journey. Um, but for those that haven't had a chance to catch a, or catch that episode yet, Give uh, the audience just a quick uh, a minute or two introduction to yourself. Sure. So uh, Jason Cement, as we said, I run an agency with my partner called Get Visible. We started it in 2005. And the way it worked for me in my first business in the, in the late 90s, and he left to go run a advertising department for watch business. He called me up one day. He's like, you know what? Let's offer search engine rankings as a consulting business. You go get the deals. I'll work at night. When we have enough clients, then we'll see about going full time. So we did it. And after a year, I had enough. we had enough clients. He quit. We went full time. And now we're up to 18 people. And search engine rankings quickly became advertising, WordPress websites, social media, engineering, LinkedIn outreach, all sorts of things that create the you know, the basket of a digital marketing agency services. And so that's what we're doing now. Well, sounds like a great place to be and uh, an awesome introduction. So it's an area that I always find uh, pretty interesting, just from a more of a self-prescribed, uh, I'm not a marketer and I haven't had that training, but I always uh, find it uh, interesting and there are a lot of areas to hit on. And so kind of one of the things that I think we talked a little bit about before uh, the podcast um, was, uh, you know, a lot of times the uh, 
there's a myth and especially in depending on the industry um, that, you know, business or the business can only have referral or only comes from referrals, especially in maybe the marketing and some of those agencies. And when you bring it or doing an agency and, uh, and getting that started, that referrals are really the only source of business. Now, is that a true myth? In other words, it's not a myth or kind of your thoughts on how, why that's a myth and uh, why or people should be uh, thinking about it uh, differently. So I've been learning something recently. Uh, I'm trying to write a book and a nonfiction book. And I learned something called narrative identity. And what that means is that when people interpret all the information coming in, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I, how do I understand it? How do I frame it? Everything has to fit into this thing called narrative identity, which is how you view yourself and how you view the world. It's really interesting stuff, almost to the point where I think people are sometimes embarrassed to do something different than they're used to because they feel like it doesn't fit their identity. So when you're a lawyer, for example, and you built your practice by going to lunch, by going to networking events and doing all the things relationship-based, then all your business comes from those relationships, comes from referrals. And you feel like, well, that's my business. That must be how it is for all other lawyers because that's the identity that I understand. And so we'll often talk to whether it doesn't matter the business, it just matters on their experience. And people will say, hey, it doesn't work for me to get uh, search engine rankings or to spend money on ads, but they never really made an effort to put money into the channels. And so one of the things that you and I talked about is you could literally just go to Google, type in a keyword that's relevant to your business, a keyword phrase, and see if people are advertising and see how many sites are coming up competing for attention for that keyword. And if you see all that activity, the odds are people are getting leads because they're investing money into it. So that's sort of like a, a first way to answer, is it a myth or not a myth? It might be in a certain type of business. And, and I will say this, the higher upstream you go in terms of the value per hour for advice, let's say, mm -hmm. the more likely it's going to come from a referral for a few reasons. One, because someone who's going to spend a thousand bucks an hour is probably not going to go to Google to look for that expert. They may go look to validate who they think is the expert, but it's fairly rare they're going to go look at that level of the game because they're going to ask their attorney, they're going to ask their banker, they're going to ask somebody who's a trusted advisor at that level of the game and say, hey, who do you recommend? Who's done this before? It happened to me last week. Someone called me to do a project and it's a good friend. And he said, but you know what? There's someone who really specializes in this. And he three hours later, he hired the other guy for 50 grand. And for me, it would not have been anywhere near that kind of price tag. But that was a referral type of situation. Like he knew what he wanted. He just had to find that person. Hmm. So, you know, it makes all this really funny to me that when I went to college, you said before, oh, I'm not a marketer, right? like a reference point. When I was in college, I had a marketing class. Like I studied accounting. I was in accounting. I graduated with accounting. I went to law school. But in college, I took a marketing class. And the marketing professor wanted to fail me. And she's like, you're not very good at this. And, and you should be better because I taught your brother and he was an A student. Why aren't you an A student? So like if I went for therapy, they'd probably say I launched this whole business just to get back at the marketing professor. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, there you go. No, that's insightful. And, you know, let me ask this. I mean, so I would, it sounds like, and part of the, because typically a myth has some genesis in the truth. In other words, it started with a kernel of truth and then it expanded way beyond that and becomes false or becomes at least an erroneous assumption. But it sounds like, you know, one of the things that people think as well to get that top tier, you know, the, as you said, thousand dollars an hour, the person that's very expensive, maybe referrals are that. But if I were to maybe put words in your mouth and correct me where I'm wrong, that there's a lot of other, I don't know, low hanging fruit, other fruit on other trees that is often going overlooked just because people have that. Well, in order to get the these clients, that's the only referrals are the only way and they're missing out on a lot of clients. Is that kind of a, a correct uh, summary or reassessment? Yeah, what I would say is that people love self-fulfilling prophecies and they love to be right. So if you feel that you're, going to go fishing, for example, in the lake, hmm. and that lake is referrals, and you put your rod and reel into the lake, you put the line in there, the odds are you're going to get referrals. But if you don't put that fishing line into the other lake that is advertising, social media, all the other channels, LinkedIn, digital channels where your prospects might be living online, you're going to continue to just fish in one lake because at the lowest level, you just don't know any better. At the higher level of cognition, you're not really willing to make the investment. Uh, it all depends. Again, it gets back to that narrative identity. Who do you view yourself as? Are you the risk taker? Are you not the risk taker? Do you, hmm. you can find all sorts of excuses to keep fishing in the same lake. No, makes uh, makes perfect sense. So now, now let me follow up with or that a little bit because I think one of the other issues that people sometimes have and again these may be a myth or maybe erroneous or maybe have some a kernel of truth to it is hey i tried and we'll take linkedin ads as an example and i'll give my personal opinion which you're probably going to hit me over the head with and tell me how wrong i am but you know so we've tried a number of different avenues and and some of them have been pretty successful and we've talked about them on previous episodes you know for my law for miller ip law and off and on we've tried linkedin ads just because it's a place where a lot of business owners are kind of business, uh, more business related uh, platform. Now, our every time, both when we've done it internally and externally, LinkedIn ads have just never performed as well as the other other avenues. We, uh, organic outreach and podcasts and posting and connecting people, all those have worked well on LinkedIn, but the ads themselves haven't. And so how do you balance when you're getting into that of, hey, whether it's referrals and you're saying, or you just have a bias and say, hey, we tried this, it doesn't work. How do you know if it's, you tried and didn't work because you didn't have the right uh, tool set up, didn't have the right setup, didn't right have the right person managing it. Or how do you figure out more is this is not, I'm not fishing in the right lake. There are no fish in this lake and I need to go move to a different lake. How do you kind of, any any thoughts or feedback and how you might uh, come to figure that out? So I would say the first question you have to ask is not, does LinkedIn work? Does Google work? Does Bing work? That's not the question. The question, and I'm not saying your question's wrong. I'm saying that's how I evaluate what we do for clients is my first question is where is the prospect or the referral to the prospect living online? Where are they looking to, to get rid of the pain that either they're experiencing or their clients experiencing? So are they going to go to Facebook and post something, which then they're going to call you and say, I need leading to you, right? Are they going to go to Facebook and pop in a question and, and wait for their social following to give them an answer? Are they gonna to go to Google and type in a query? Are they gonna go now to a chat GPT and try to find an answer that way? 
the yeah. first question is where are they going to go? Where are they likely going to be so that I can get in front of them before somebody else does? And mm -hmm. if I can't get there before someone else does, at least can I get their number two or three? And can I then create a better engagement so that I look much more impressive than the comp competition? So therefore, when you say, does LinkedIn ads work? Well, the first question is, if I have to spend $10 on a click, which is sort of an average, let's say, can I get to that same person for less than $10? Because everything is about return on investment. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a way, and there is, by the way, to get to people for $2 a click. Mm -hmm. So the same people. So why spend 10 if I could spend two? And at the same point, when you start to dissect that $10 spent on LinkedIn, how good was your landing page? How good was the ad that you created? How good was your follow-up? You have to investigate all the other variables. You can't just point to the channel and say the channel's a failure because you might've put the wrong lure in. You might've not had a good lead magnet. You might've had a, a, a kinks in your fishing line. There's all sorts of reasons that may explain why the ads didn't work for you. And it might also be that your business doesn't work on LinkedIn ads, which is totally fine also. Hmm. No, and I think that uh, that makes perfect sense. Now I'll follow up. How do you, so what is the process? And you, you touched on it a lot, but what is the process to make that differentiation? Because it, it, it just doesn't work on LinkedIn or maybe there's cheaper ad, you know, cheaper ads over here versus, hey, it's just that we're not doing a good job on whether it's follow-up, whether it's outreach, whether it's messaging. And you touched on that, but how do I, because I think that's where a lot of people struggle is, I don't know if I'm doing this wrong or whoever I hired is doing this wrong. Or if it's just, hey, people are not on this platform. Is this, there's not where this is not what they're looking for, and it always seems like that's a very hard question to answer because there's so many variables that go into it. You're right, and as the rabbis would say, you're right too. So the <laughs> the 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 place I would start is trying to do what somebody named uh, Bruce Lefetri. He's a consultant. They call him the Client Whisperer. So his big and I saw him this morning. That's why it's fresh in my head. And his thing is, I'm going to clone your best client. So what he means is, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to pull it out of your brain, and I'm going to survey some of your clients and figure out what it is that they were looking for when they decided to hire you or to buy your product, whatever it is. So the first thing is to uncover what it is that makes you interesting to a client. So you go to back to your clients and say, hey, why'd you hire me? Why did you stay with me? What, what were you experiencing that made you even look for somebody like me? Start putting all that together to build your marketing kit. Once you have all that and you understand the pain points and you've maybe productized your solution, give it a little trademark action and, and created the, uh, the goodwill stuff that says, hey, I'm credible, I'm an authority, I've got testimonials. When you fill out the entire marketing piece, now you say, okay, now let me go find the channel where that piece is going to work best. And maybe it's going to be LinkedIn. Maybe it's going to be Google. You start with your first ad, your second ad, you do A-B testing, and you start trying to establish a baseline that gives you some level of predictability. I mean, it's it's a process. It's a, That's why we have roadmaps for each of the things that we do, because ultimately what we're trying to do is find that balance that says this channel is going to cost this much to produce a client. This channel will produce that much. And even if the channel costs three times as much, I don't want to give up the channel if it's still profitable. Hmm. Right? Because at a certain point, you reach a limit on each channel, what you can obtain from it. So I think you have to test and you have to get to a real root level of detail to understand 
how to clone your clients, as Bruce would say. No, I think that that and that's a great answer and a lot of an insight now shifting gears just a little bit, but I think it goes along with that. Um, so, you know, one of the other things that I think that sometimes people get channeled into is, you know, you see, oh, if I'm on a business, I have to do Facebook ads or Google ads or insert whatever. And it, there's a lot of different, you know, you go on to read the forums or you ask your friends or people in the industry and they have these bias of, well, the only way you're going to do it is, you know, I always, I hear a lot from clients, hey, if I just get a great product and I go advertise on Facebook, we're all going to be rich because that's where all the eyeballs are. And I'm good. You know, that's all you need is a bit with the successful business, it's a good product and some Facebook ads. And yet then they go and try it and it doesn't always work. And there's other less, maybe non-mainstream areas that would work better that are, you know, that aren't necessarily the ones that everybody always talks about or always does, and yet have a great return on doing it or a different approach to the platform. So kind of walk us through what are some of the things to look at that maybe aren't mainstream or how do you go about identifying those? So I'll give you a good example, because that's a great question. We have a client who's a lawyer in New York, grew up with my uh, wife and her sister, like know each other for over 30 years. and not that it really matters, but it means that we have an intimate relationship beyond just as a client. So he talks to me about things he wouldn't talk about normally. And he has a TikTok channel. You would never expect a lawyer to get almost 90% of his business just from TikTok. It's just really strange. But he found a topic that resonates inside TikTok. TikTok is a great channel if you're a good producer because mm. the algorithm looks for people to get your stuff in front of. So even without advertising, you get a natural push. YouTube Shorts does a similar thing, but it's just a different experience than TikTok. And TikTok engagement is through the roof. When he lost his channel for a few months to a, to a glitch on TikTok, his business collapsed. He had to find other avenues, but well, collapse is not the right word. The business was materially impacted because he lost that channel that contributed to a revenue stream. So you're absolutely right that sometimes you have to find a channel. It might be a newsletter that some, for example, right now, since AI has become so big since December, mm. there's seven or eight newsletters that I religiously follow. And they have, one of them has like 200,000 subscribers already. It's really fast that they grew. And mm. every day that the newsletter comes out is an AI tool that's in there, like a featured tool. So if you can sponsor to an audience that's very interested in that topic, that could be way better than a Google ad or an ad on uh, Facebook or something like that. So you have to find, as I said at the beginning, find the channel where your prospects or referral partners are sitting. And that's the one you got to spend the most money getting into. No, I think that uh, that makes perfect sense. Now, I'm, I want to follow up and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I'd love to get your thoughts or feedback is one of the ones and I read a lot of different things from different, you know, different uh, sources. Some people say, hey, cold emailing is dead. So in other words, you know, what a lot of people call spam emails, right? So I'm going to cold outreach. They don't don't want it or don't looking for it. And yet you get them all the time in your inbox. And now you're getting more and more filtering that where maybe it doesn't even hit your inbox. And I'll see some that says, hey, that is just not worth your time and effort. And other people, I'll see, read other articles and other sources and say, no, there's still, I've gotten all these returns and because people are thinking it's dead. So kind of on that same vein of maybe not being used to be very mainstream, seems like it's maybe falling out of the mainstream. Any specific or any thoughts on 
cold emailing or spam emailing. And I hate the word spam just because then it makes it, it makes it sound dirty or it makes it sound like it's uh, you know, not, a, not a good way. But anything, any ideas on cold email? Let's just call it outreach. We'll make it simple. Very vanilla. I'm a, uh, it's not that I'm a fan of it because we're not doing it but we will be doing it and I'm a fan of it. So I went the full circle there. I would say like this, I know enough people that are doing outreach. I spoke to one guy last night who's who's a mentor for me. And he talks to me very uh, on detail level what he's doing. He's got three people. They are doing complete cold outreach, including phone calls also, producing mm-hmm. five lead, uh, uh, four leads a week. So basically at the end of the month, They'll have like 16 real calls and some amount of them are converting. He's making money like then because the people are overseas and, and he's now going to start teaching other people how to do that and, and rent out people to, I hate the, the way that sounds, but basically create a, an opportunity for people to basically buy a team that will do the outreach for them and follow his formula. I absolutely believe it works, but only if you have the entire life cycle. So you have to have the follow-up, you have to have the sequence, the good copywriting, which thankfully ChatGPT helps you at least to get to an 80%, whereas before you do it on your own, you're at a 50%. So you just have to decide if you want a copywriter, but you need to have the all the pieces of the puzzle in order to do it. It absolutely works. Mm. No, and I, I like how you even hit on the another one that's probably... I'd say it used to be very mainstream and yet it's kind of fallen out of vogue, at least in some people's minds or in some industries, which is cold call. Now, I always block everybody that's cold calls me that I don't want to ever hear from again because they're, they're spammers. But on the occasion, you do have the cold call that hits you on the, the right time, the right, you know, the the right need that you're hitting on and you're willing to explore it and it ends up working out well. And so I like that. I think that, you know, rather than getting chen- or tunneled into what is the hip are the ones that are in, you know, in the mainstream are the ones that people always are talking about. There's a lot of them that still work, whether it's cold email, outreach, phone calls, or many others. Um, now, going along with that, I mean, one of the other things that we talked about is kind of third-party endorsement. So maybe first of all, um, third-party endorsement, kind of what is it and, you know, what it, or what should people be thinking about it? I mean, it's basically a testimonial, like the good housekeeping seal of approval that we might have had when we were kids is is somebody who is testifying really to how good you are, how reliable you are, how credible you are, you might be affordable, whatever the reasons are that that, that that you work well for them, they're putting it out there. And so it's a Google review, it's a Yelp review, it's a video testimonial, it's just someone validating you so that if you're being checked out, they get reinforced to feel like it's the right decision to hire you. Hmm. So now how do you go about getting those? Another, and, and I know that that's a loaded question and there's also, you know, it, there's a lot of different passing take, but overall, any general advice on how to go about getting those third-party endorsements? Well, the best thing to do is the minute that you actually do something for somebody, ask the, and, and it's a good outcome, ask them right then and there. If you're a doctor, we have systems that we input put in place for doctors that literally when the service is completed, they're getting a review text or email right then and there. If it's a lawyer, especially if they're handing the client the settlement check or the outcome of their lawsuit right then and there while they're in a state of euphoria because people tend to forget down the road. And it doesn't only have to be someone that hired you. You could just do a favor for somebody 
and say, hey, can you do me do me a favor now, just leave me a review because reviews serve more purposes than just that third party credibility. Google looks for them. So if you have more reviews on your website and you have a Google business profile, those reviews matter and they could actually get you rankings on, on Google, for example, or Bing for that matter. So the more reviews you have, the better. No, and I, I think it's funny because, you know, more often, than, not, I don't know, more often not, but more, more frequently than I necessarily would have anticipated, well, I'll have uh, potential clients that say, hey, went online, saw a lot of law firms, you guys had a lot of great reviews, and that's why I reached out to you. And I think, wow, that's awesome. You know, great, it's working. It's always interesting to hear back. But even like when with law firms, you would think, oh, well, I've got to get a, again, a referral, I've got to get a connection, I've got to do that. And maybe for if it's a multi-million dollar lawsuit, yeah, you're probably going to go get a referral. But if you're looking for, hey, I'm looking initial consultation, I've got some questions, I want to get a little bit more feedback, all of those things, or hey, this is a smaller matter, and I'm looking for someone local, or I don't know who to ask, all those things, uh, even with you know law firms, which people would often think are going to be that again, that referral basis, they the people are looking at those third party endorsements and reviews and, and those type of things. So I think that's definitely a great, uh, great piece of advice, great takeaway. You do have one issue with reviews like that mm -hmm. is when you have privacy and you have clients that you can't talk about. So mm -hmm. what we advise in those circumstances is don't get the reviews from your clients, get them from your vendors. Anyone you transact with that you're giving money to, have them write mm -hmm. a review, get a review from your banker. Anybody that is in a commercial context that has uh, the ability to give you a review, do it. Because at least what people are really looking for, it's not just the outcome. What kind of person are you? What kind of values do you have? What kind of longevity and staying power do you have? All those types of things. They don't want to see the bad reviews, obviously. Yeah. Now, two questions, and already we're reaching towards the end, but I got a couple of questions or a couple of thoughts to follow up on that. One is, is there an issue with, and I've, I've wondered it but back and forth, love to get your thought on it. So if I see, let's say, 75 reviews for a law firm, you know, and I'll just use that as an example. And within those 75 reviews, every single one of them is five stars. So you got five or 75 five star reviews, no four star, no one star or anything else. Is that ever a flag more so for consumers or they think, hey, these are all probably bought and paid for. Or they aren't genuine reviews or or is that a great, hey, they're making everybody happy and they're providing a good level of service. In other words, is there any issue if all you have is five star reviews? I think it's sort of like white noise. Because so many sites have five-star reviews. Hmm. It's an ego trip. And also, you know, there's ways to filter a review so that if someone's about to leave you less than a five-star, somehow they don't end up finishing that review because you distract them if you're using software. So uh, I, I would say... I wouldn't find it suspicious if I only see five star. I would find it suspicious if, if I start looking at the reviews and they don't look like they were real reviews. That you can start detecting. It's almost like if you use ChatGTP and you see in this vastless enterprise called business, you know, you see words that we don't use in colloquial language, you could tell it's artificial. So mm -hmm. you can sort of tell reviews that just don't feel real. No, it, uh, that certainly makes sense. And I, I would certainly echo that. And you can see that even on like Amazon, I'll be reading these reviews. I'm like, this doesn't seem like it's in proper English, even though they say they're from X, Y, or Z location that's, you know, within the United States. Well, it's possible it's a real review and, it, you know, it's they just have bad grammar, bad English. But if you see enough of those, you start to say, well, 
maybe I don't trust that. And then that has the opposite effect. So I think that's a great piece of advice. And I had another question that completely lost my mind. So I'll, I'll have to have you back on to ask that, uh, ask that follow-up question at some point um, when it, because I'm sure it's very important and insightful. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say it's very important and insightful. Probably not, but I was uh, interested, but now it left my mind. So with that, um, now as we do wrap up the, uh, the this episode, um, <clears throat> always love to wrap up with uh, one question. We've already kind of uh, touched on it and hit on it a lot, but I always like to wrap up with it anyway, which is within your industry, what is the biggest myth? And why is it wrong? Well, we talked about the biggest myth, which is the, I only get business from referrals. Uh, I, I, here's another big myth that you need to overinvest in your website or in video. I think that if your website's clean and intuitive and you got the right content elements in there and it looks like it was professionally done, okay? Not like a cheap, template that your kid just did in the filled out the me too version of it but it mm. looks like it's crisp and everything like that you're going to do fine mm. to, to go over invest it's sort of like years ago when flash was a big deal and maybe some of your listeners don't even know what flash is but uh, it was the biggest thing but it was a terrible technology because in terms of the efficiency of it because it was not visible to Google. The pages didn't load fast. They were heavy. Everything was wrong about it from an efficiency standpoint, and it disappeared. So I would say, and they were cool websites, but you don't win on a cool, not really. So I would say a big myth is over-investing in a static piece of anything. I mean, it doesn't pay to, over, it, it always will pay to over-invest in creating awesome content, like a written thing or a, a video content. But in terms of the uh, bells and whistles, I just don't feel it's necessary. No, I, I like that. But no, I, I think I can understand why people oftentimes get caught up in that because they're saying, hey, it's fun, it's cool, it's unique. And, the, you know, people think that's the first place people see us. And so you want to make it so out, out of the extreme. Now, to your point, professional, nice looking, easy to navigate. All those things are definitely a, are needed in the website, but you can spend a lot of time. And the ironic thing is, is I'll see some people that they have a good website and then they overinvest in it and they actually make it worse. In other words, it starts to get worse because they're trying to make it so different or so unique, or they're trying to tweak this and tweak that, that they overthink it. And it actually degrades the website rather than improving it. So I love to, I love that to, to dispel that myth. And I, I think that's a great takeaway. Let me add something because this really impacted my business in the last two years. So the government has a program for uh, complying with the American Disabilities Act. And what they do is they give you back, if you make your website compliant to ADA regulatory stuff, hmm. so that somebody who's vision impaired can see your website with a machine, mm -hmm. they will give you back almost 50% of what you spend up to 10 grand for your website. So you could build a $10,000 website, a little bit more than 10 grand, and they'll give you a tax credit for half of it. So, so what did we do? We created kick-ass websites for five to 10 grand. That's it. So I, I, I can show you, I'm not gonna do it now, but I'm saying I can show people really, really good websites for five to 10 grand and clients love them. Their clients are happy. They got half their money back because they're complying with ADA. So it's like to spend more than 10 grand. Now some sites will cost more than 10 because they're big websites and, and, and branding matters for them in a different way. But for the majority of 
people that I talk to, 10 grand is more than enough hmm. to, to put out a web presence that is legit. Hmm. And so the government just helped me. That's all I can say. Hey, well, I, well, I'm not big on government spending. If they're going to spend it anyway, you might as well take advantage of it. So that's a, a great, right. uh, great insight. So awesome. Well, now, as we do wrap up, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? You just go to getvisible.com and you'll find me. I'm all over the web. Or look up Jason Cement. I'm very public, like the guy from uh, LifeLock. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, support a great business, and if nothing else, uh, make a new best friend. So with that, thank you again, Jason, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you the listeners that are out there, um, if you can make sure to click share, subscribe, and leave us a review, helps us to reach even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey to success. And on that note, if you ever along your journey you need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else with your startup, your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Jason, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.